Hello, and welcome to The Roundtable, a Next Generation Politics podcast. Next Generation Politics is leading a movement of young people committed to building bridges across various divides. I'm Jack, and at this week's Roundtable, Jed, Kanisha, and I spoke with Sarah Walk and Ruben Montejano of the Equal Vote Coalition, driving forces behind the star voting system from Oregon that's now starting to spread nationwide. Given our interest in systems of voting that help voices be heard to the greatest extent possible, ensuring elected officials represent us most effectively, and how we as rising voters can use our power to best effect, we were eager to learn about how the star voting model, a model that changes the way people think about how they should vote. As Sarah noticed, voting is the issue that affects all others and is the sign of a healthy democracy, or lack thereof. The Equal Vote Coalition researched the history of how we came to vote as we do, and realized that systems that don't count rankings of candidates aren't legitimately counting all votes and all voices. Electability has become paramount, which makes split voting and the spoiler effect so problematic, and instead makes voters run a pragmatic calculus that's suboptimal. However, other voting methods like STAR can make electability less salient and put more emphasis on having voters look more closely at candidates and their policy positions. Electoral reform is a puzzle with a lot of pieces that all need to fit together. And to ensure that every voter's vote is equally powerful, there are several pieces to make sure that voters aren't all at mathematical disadvantage. Strategies that counteract split voting, like proportional voting, gerrymandering and electoral college reforms, and eliminating barriers and promoting access to the vote. Sarah and Ruben are particularly enthusiastic about star voting, a hybrid evolution that is the next generation of voting, akin to a five-star ranking system in which you can show preferences and level of support for different candidates. This encourages voters to look at all the candidates who might support them, provides a broader range of expression, and can ultimately eliminate primary elections, which disadvantage voters. Furthermore, implementing star voting doesn't require a constitutional amendment, so we're not tacking on something catastrophically difficult like campaign finance reform. We were excited to learn about it and think that you will be too. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. My name is Jack. I'm a high school junior from Manhattan, New York. I've been with NextGen for about a year now. I started by doing a civic action project with NextGen where we created a survey and released it to high school students in the New York City metro area to get their feelings on how they think freedom of expression is holding up in today's sort of environment of political correctness, especially within high schools. I'm really excited today to learn more about different systems of voting. I know New York City in the last election cycle implemented a ranked choice voting system, which I think is a really exciting and positive change. But I'm also really interested to hear sort of some of the more recent voting maps and sort of gerrymandered districts that have been making news headlines and sort of have been a recent subject of controversy. And so I'm really interested to see sort of where the balance between all of that lies. Obviously, ranked choice voting is a good thing, but how effective can it be if your district is heavily gerrymandered? Hi, I'm Jed. I'm a high school junior from New York City, and I've worked with NextGen to develop programs on media literacy, which kind of ties into making use of democracy in our news and our legal systems. So that touches on how our voting systems work. And as a 16-year-old embarking on my journey as a voter, I'm excited to kind of get an understanding of what that means and what I can do to make that a more fair and a way to uphold democracy as we kind of cast our vote. Hi, my name is Kanisha. I'm a high school junior from Queens, New York. And in addition to being a podcaster, I'm a facilitator at YVote. And at YVote, I help facilitate the political education advocacy track. And with that, you know, you kind of pair voting just naturally with it, since that is such a big part of civic action. And last year, with New York's mayoral elections, like the Democratic primary, which is arguably like the biggest or most significant part of our mayoral election was done using ranked choice voting. So that was obviously a huge shift going from plurality to ranked choice voting. And I think we saw a lot of changes come from that. 
And that really opened my eyes to, we always talk about getting people to vote as a part of, you know, making change, activism, and being involved civically, but we never really think about how we vote as in literally the systems and mechanisms that the electoral process uses to tally our votes. And that's what I found really interesting about equal vote and the whole thing about star voting, which I'd love you guys to expand on, was that it's a new strategy for voting that can hopefully make our voices heard to the greatest extent possible. So I'm just really excited to talk about not only how we can get more people to engage with voting, but how we can optimize the very systems we use to make sure that our elected officials are really representing our voices. I'm Sarah Wilk. I'm the executive director of the Equal Vote Coalition. So we're a national nonpartisan nonprofit fighting for true equality in the vote itself, the idea that your voting method shouldn't play favorites. And so I'm glad you brought up systems design because the systems we used have a huge impact on voter behavior, on candidate behavior, on access to the civic franchise and everything that comes with that. So we mostly focus on the voting method itself. So alternative voting methods that ensure an equally weighted vote and especially star voting. So star voting is one of the newer voting reforms out there and it was invented because none of the previous proposals really delivered on everyone's goals. And depending on which angle you're coming from, people have different priorities for voting reform. What we really want is one ballot, one type of voting that is adaptable enough to work for all of our different electoral types at the national level, at the local level, for multi-winner, for single winner, with a cohesive user-friendly voter experience that is simple, transparent, auditable, secure, doesn't waste your vote, empowers you to vote your conscience. And that didn't really exist until a few years ago. So star voting is kind of a hybrid or an evolution of some previous proposals. It's kind of the next generation in voting reform. It's called star voting because it's like a five-star rating. So you score candidates up to five stars. Zero is your worst candidate. Five is your best. And the five-star rating allows you to show your preference order between the candidates and also your level of support for your different candidates. I could have a couple of candidates I want to give five stars to. Maybe they're both fantastic. And we saw that a lot with like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, who really had the exact same platform on almost every issue. A lot of people gave them the same score in polls. And then if you have a candidate who's kind of your lesser evil, you really don't actually support them. but if it came down to it, you absolutely want to vote for them instead of your worst case scenario, you give that person one star. And the way star voting's counted is two rounds. So in the first round, you add up all the stars and the two highest scoring candidates are finalists. In the second round, those two highest scoring candidates face off and my vote, my ballot goes to whichever finalist I preferred. The first round measures stars, second round measures votes, and finds a majority preferred winner. My name is Ruben Matahana. I have been uh, working on voting reform movements since 2018, I believe. What is really fascinating and awesome about voting methods is that it changes the way people think about how they should vote. And as we know, the plurality voting method gets us to behave and to vote in a particular way. But now we are seeing that other voting methods can do that. And I'm just happy to talk about this conversation with you guys. I just want to ask you guys about what the initial inspiration behind star voting and that method was, and maybe how it built on other alternative voting systems like ranked choice voting. 
for me, I got really excited about this issue because there are so many issues that we need to make progress on in order to solve all these catastrophic problems. But in a lot of ways, we're stymied if we can't make good collective decisions, if we can't hold politicians accountable. Well, my first election I voted in was the 2000 election with Ralph Nader, which has kind of become the case study for vote splitting and the spoiler effect. And I really struggled with who am I going to vote for? Should I vote my conscience? Should I vote for the candidate on my side I think should win? And it occurred to me, if you can't vote your conscience without risking wasting your vote or having your vote backfire, it's not really a democracy. So getting into how do we solve that, I first learned about ranked choice voting and ranked ballots in general have been around for thousands of years. It used to be that you counted all the rankings and you find the candidate who's preferred over all others, but that can be pretty logistically cumbersome. So about 150 years ago, they came up with this workaround to make hand counting ranked ballots easier, where you just count the top ranking on each ballot and use tournament style elimination rounds. And the deeper I got into this rabbit hole, the more I realized that in especially competitive races, if you're not counting all of the rankings in cases where candidates are tied or close to tied, those ignored rankings can make a really big difference. So that's when I set out to find out, is there a voting method that really solves these problems, even in the competitive stress case scenarios, and that delivers on our goals? Back when I started voting in 2016, it was very polarizing. There were a few candidates, especially in the Democratic primary, that were very interesting to look at. And unfortunately, a lot of what came about was talking about electability, which is something that you will always hear about when you start voting. Hopefully, when you look at these other voting methods, you can look more into what candidate you prefer and look more at the policy positions of each candidate, or you have the potential to support someone that you prefer over an electability candidate. And electability, I think, really is what makes vote splitting so catastrophically toxic for our political discourse, because what we see is that everyone has their implicit biases. If you tell somebody your favorite's not electable, don't throw your vote away on them, that disadvantages candidates who have less money, candidates who have less name recognition, candidates who aren't incumbents, candidates who don't look or talk like what we think an establishment candidate should look or talk like. So it really does entrench this kind of glass ceiling that we see in politics. In addition to that, vote splitting happens anytime there's more than two candidates in the race for voting methods that have this problem. And so it forces people into this false binary, us against them, paradigm where only two candidates can be front runners, only two candidates can be viable. And the strategy to win is really to demonize the other side and to polarize ourselves into this us against them narrative. I think that that's a really sort of interesting observation that when you as a voter have to run a calculus of, well, where I put my vote matters, not because it determines who gets elected, but I have to calculate, oh, am I throwing away my vote or am I keeping my vote? There are obviously like problems in how we elect people at like all levels of our government, right? So like the electoral college is notorious for weighing the vote of a Wyoming citizen as like almost twice as much as the vote of a California or New Yorker. Something that I'm interested in, in hearing is, do you think that this would mostly take effect at like a local level or is the hope that you would just replace the electoral college at like a more broad level? Also like the realities of like gerrymandering are such that 
we can see districts that are divvied up in like comically insane ways so that you can incentivize one party over the other. And I guess my question is, do you see your system as being able to fix sort of some of those problems also, or would you consider those like, you know, another issue that needs to be addressed independently? So electoral reform is a puzzle and there are a lot of pieces that are all really important. And it's also really important that all those pieces fit together because there are electoral reforms that alone are really good, but that don't play well with others. So in terms of how do we get an equal vote? How do we ensure that every voter's vote is equally powerful? There's a few pieces to that. There's the voting method itself and eliminating vote splitting because mathematically, anytime I have more candidates on my side with our current system and also with ranked choice voting to a lesser extent, then I'm at a mathematical disadvantage. I don't have an equally weighted vote. And gerrymandering is another classic example and one that gives us a Supreme Court precedent that we can actually hopefully utilize to bring the equal vote to other aspects of voting. So gerrymandering and the Electoral College is kind of the same thing. It's based on where you draw the borders, how much power a person's vote has. And then the third is access to the vote. So if people can't vote, if people are being disenfranchised from voting or barriers to voting, those are all really important pieces of the puzzle. Proportional representation and multi-winner elections can be paired with gerrymandered districts. And because it's a multi-winner election, less of those district lines matter. So that can be used to mitigate the impacts of gerrymandering, but it's kind of a band-aid solution. So definitely we would love to see the equally weighted vote used legally to uphold actually like getting rid of gerrymandering or setting concrete limits so that districts aren't gerrymandered. There's a lot of puzzles in play about electoral reform. There are a lot of different ideas out there on how we can fix our gerrymandered districts. There are a lot of ideas on how we can fix our voting reform. And there are a lot of other ideas on how we can fix political access and ballot access reform. And what star voting does and what star voting kind of focuses on is the voting system itself and how it can open the doors to political expression in our vote. To a lesser extent, it's supposed to reduce gerrymandering effects to some extent, but PR is definitely another proposal that definitely addresses gerrymandering. So there's many pieces to the puzzle and star voting is just one part of that piece. I was wondering, are voters educated enough to distribute their votes, or in this case, stars, to the candidates? I guess the star process requires like an even greater understanding of each candidate than the current system. And informed voting with the current system, I think, is already a huge issue. I think there's definitely a relationship between the star system and making informed voting choices. So I was wondering how those two kind of play out together. So it comes down to incentives. Our current voting method really incentives incentivizes voters to figure out which candidate is electable on their side and then move on with their life. There isn't really a strong incentive to learn about candidates that you're not going to vote for, even if they are your favorite, or to hear out people who have differences of opinion. And so that's another reason why our voting system just silos people into these camps that don't hear each other out and don't really need to. And so with star voting, if you are kind of a lower information voter and you know who you want to vote for, you can give them five stars and move on with your life as well. But there's that incentive, first off, to always give your favorite five stars, no matter whether or not you think they should win. 
or they can win, it's always a good idea to give your favorite five stars. But it's also strongly incentivized to show your preference order between all the candidates. And so that does encourage voters to have a reason to research the field more carefully. And maybe they would find somebody had some good points that they would have written off otherwise. It really incentivizes voters to look at who they support and who really represents them. There could be more than one candidate that represents you. And that's okay. And with star voting, it allows you to support those candidates. But if you don't have a particular reason to support other candidates, or you're not politically active, and you just, you know, listen to your favorite and whoever the favorite is, you can vote that way if you'd like. But it does open the door to that expressive view. And also another thing that STAR can do is it can eliminate the primary, which does disadvantage voters when they start their primary process, and they have a really short amount of time to learn these candidates. So if you eliminate the primary and just allow all the candidates to just be in a general election, this gives more time for voters to learn the candidates, gives more time for them to weigh out who they support and who they don't support. And it also gives time for candidates to campaign more and to broaden their own base of support. So it's really helpful for both voter and the candidate. I'm thinking back to like June of 2021, when we had the mayoral primary in New York, everyone saw the Democratic primary as kind of like the end all be all, right? Like whoever's going to get elected here is going to be our mayor. New York never votes another way. And that kind of made me think about, you know, the stronghold that parties have in a lot of states and a lot of communities and cities specifically because they are smaller communities. And discussed a lot at NextGen is being able to really not just get set into our ways and our patterns as aligning with one party, being on one side of the aisle or the other. And actually we use, instead of the term nonpartisan or bipartisan, we use the term cross cross-partisan to hopefully accommodate all of those different civic identities to make sure that everyone is actually included in this conversation and foster a spirit of cooperation rather than antagonism. So I kind of just want to ask you about how can we use alternative voting methods to hopefully overcome polarization? And like I was learning about this in my history class, and it was super enlightening why we first made political parties. And it was to allow constituents a way to make their voices represented in the politicians that they elect because there wasn't a lot of space to do that. And now looking back, it's like, wow, we strayed so far from that. So I'd really love to talk about how new voting systems are a way to that better future. We see a lot of people come to the voting reform movement because they're feeling disenfranchised by the political party system, the hyperpolarization, or they feel like they get really active within their political party and then can't find a voice, or they identify as third party or independent and also can't find a voice. So star voting works for partisan elections. You could use it for a partisan primary. You could use it for partisan general elections, but it also works fantastically for nonpartisan elections and for eliminating the primary. And that's because it is so accurate with a large field of candidates. Because if you have a race with 20 candidates or 15, like the New York mayoral election had a ton of candidates. And that's where ranking can get problematic. It can be hard to know who you want to rank 11th or 12th or 13th, whereas the five-star ballot really matches kind of the level of cognitive load of the human mind, where we've got someone that we really love, someone we like, someone that's pretty good, someone that's not that bad. That flexibility and that accuracy for races with huge numbers of candidates really empowers us 
to think beyond this current partisan election paradigm that we have. This is something that we're trying to work on in the movement is to get people to call for accurate representative elections is like something that we want. It's weird. It's one of the things that's almost never mentioned when people are comparing different voting methods. But universally, every study that's ever been done on it, statistical modeling, data analysis of real world elections shows that our current voting methods wildly inaccurate. We see if you add two election system, primary and general, it gets a little better. If you do something like rank choice, it gets a little better. But until you allow voters to show full support for multiple candidates, we're not able to really unlock eliminating vote splitting and unlock high levels of accuracy with larger fields of candidates. So that's where star voting and systems like it really excel. The idea that maybe we have a voting system or that one exists that really solves most of the problems that you have with like a first past the post system or even that are mitigated but not completely fixed by ranked choice. All of that is fantastic. Can you comment as to like how widespread implementation has been or what sort of a broader reform movement would look like? Before I heard about that we were doing this interview and I started reading, I never heard of star voting before. I knew that ranked choice is better than first past the post, but I never heard of one specifically. Are there any districts that have implemented star voting? And then also, you know, it seems to be a little bit more niche if it is that, what would condition that would allow like a broader uptake and like more sort of state level, county level, or even possibly national level adaptation, what would that look like? Right now, Star Voting is a very new and innovative reform. So it was created in 2014, and it's been used in Oregon's independent party primary, and it's been used for some Democratic elections in Oregon. Right now, we are trying to broaden our advocacy through California, through North Carolina, through Canada, through the EU. So it's starting to pick up steam. Hopefully, we can get some local ballot initiatives or some legislative legislative bills, but right, it's mostly just educational and building up on this movement that we're starting. Again, this is a pretty new innovation, but the trajectory has been incredible. And I think necessity is the mother of invention. If ranked choice and some of these other voting methods that have been around a long time went further and were more logistically viable and weren't being repealed so much when they do get passed, we wouldn't have star voting. But the fact that it really does deliver on people's goals has been pretty groundbreaking. So I think me and most people learn about ranked choice voting first. People that dive in and learn more find out about star voting and tons of people who find out about star voting get really excited about it. So we've got a lot of different avenues for getting it adopted from the local level, statewide and national bills and the ballot initiative process. And we definitely encourage everyone to start talking about it, start using it. You can use it yourself if you go to star.vote. That's an easy place to set up a poll on our website, starvoting.us. You can sign up, get involved. It's a really inclusive grassroots group of incredible people who are really working on every piece of the puzzle from education to implementation to organizing and outreach. And it's been a lot of fun to be a part of. That's all for today with NextGen Politics. I'm editor Irina Chowdhury signing off. Please check out our website at www.nextgenpolitics.org slash podcast for links related to what we've discussed and to find out more about our work. And please recommend us to your civic-minded friends or to your friends you'd like to become more civic-minded.